Hey, Trojan fans, this is the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We're back, peristylepodcast.com. we got a big show for you this week. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We're going to have uh, Sean Salisbury, former, former USC quarterback, coming on the show a little bit later on. And we're going to start off with another former USC quarterback, Shane Foley. What's up, Shane? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Great to be back on. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. And uh, Shane was actually in South Bend over the weekend. We want to talk to him about the game, get his analysis of what went on, and, and want to talk about the uh, Miami sanctions that came down on Tuesday and how they compare to what USC got and all that. So we have lots of stuff we wanted to get to. And uh, I guess, Shane, maybe let people know before we get going where they can uh, find you on Twitter and, and the Fuller Report. Hey, well, thanks, Ryan. Uh, yeah, you can actually follow me on Twitter at Shane Foley underscore USC. I'm on Facebook, which is the Fuller Report uh, on Facebook. You can find me at Shane Foley on Facebook or the Foley Report, and then also ShaneFoley.com, which is a website that uh, feeds uh, the Foley Report as well. So lots of places you can get a hold of uh, <laughs> Shane Foley, which is good. It's social media at its best and uh, using it well, Shane. That's good stuff. Um, Thanks. But you were there. You got the saw yeah. this game in person. I know there was a lot of USC fans on our message boards and on Twitter and stuff. They're really frustrated. Maybe not so much as the effort, but the, the blown opportunities. Uh, is that kind of what you saw out there? You know, give us give us your thoughts. Well, it was really a, a two different halves. I mean, the first half, a lot of good things happened. You saw early in the game on uh, fourth down, Sue Cravens uh, made a great play, stuffing the run, and uh, you know, getting that stopped. And then the offense, very next uh, series, you know, taking about 96 yards and going in for a touchdown, converting a couple third downs, moving the ball around. Silas Red running the ball extremely well. And the offensive line actually doing a good job up front. And so that was uh, encouraging as we got a little bit later into the first half. Uh, you know, we had another, unfortunately, another drop by Marquise Lee with a very uh, well-thrown ball by Kessler and uh, certainly had a, a missed field goal and just missed opportunities, I think, uh, to you know, probably some of your fans on Peristyle and, and uh, to their point. A lot of points left on the on the table, and so that's frustrating to see. Certainly, in a game that went the way it did, when it came down to really looking like a defensive battle, second half, as we know, got ugly, and uh, that half, no no scoring happened in that game. But when it became obvious that Notre Dame's defense, they made some adjustments. They were playing more physical, uh, more physically up front, and uh, playing better against our offensive line. Our defense uh, clearly doing a very good job, and Lamar Dawson knocking out their quarterback, Tommy Reese. So they were really ineffective throwing the football. I mean, they couldn't really throw the ball if they wanted to, and so we needed to get points, and it became very apparent, obviously, we needed to get points, and having the field position that we did time and time again uh, by punt returns, by uh, another another turnover recovered by Sue Cravens, uh, some very good plays getting us down there with good opportunity to score and not being able to do much was was very frustrating. And um, the penalties, uh, certainly I think a lot of people felt, as did I, that uh, we really hurt ourselves when we had opportunities to uh, score. And, you know, two field goals that were missed by Hidari, one in the first half, one in the second, is the difference right there, 16-14. But, you know, again, team game. Uh, very frustrating and uh, need to do more uh, when we uh, are given the opportunity. The, uh, it definitely was two different halves there. And, and the points on the table thing was something I was kind of tweeting about during the game where uh-huh. you saw that USC was moving the ball. I thought Cody Kessler looked a lot more comfortable. Uh, they were distributing the ball well. They were running the ball well. and But, you know, there was they weren't finishing some of those drives. They had that long one, the 95-6, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that they finished off, which was nice. But the, they, they definitely left some points on the table. But I think a lot of USC fans felt like, well, they're moving the ball well. You, you didn't score on these couple of drives. There's, there's going to be other opportunities. And then it turned out there really wasn't any other opportunities. Do you, do you think there was a, adjustments made by Notre Dame? Was it something USC wasn't doing? It's just hard to explain how you can move the ball so well on, you know, in the beginning of the game and then so terribly at the end of the game. Well, yeah, I definitely think they made adjustments. I think they played more physically up front. I think that I'm sure the uh, coaches actually on the Notre Dame in the Notre Dame locker room challenged their guys to play more physically and really bring it. They got two, you know, two guys north of 325. One guy's about 355. The other guy's about 330. So, you know, you got big, big physical guys up front. They came out and played really, really well. So, some credit has to be given to them on the adjustments. But I think, you know. 
games take on an energy of their own. Football is a game of momentum, especially college football with the, with the crowd, with the fans, with everything that takes place at that level. And so you have to really recognize what direction the, the game is going. And when it became obvious that it was going to be more of a defensive struggle, we had to make points. We had to take advantage of opportunities. Uh, you know, the third down conversion that we talk about a lot, at least when I'm on, uh, was, was atrocious. And we, you know, converted two third downs on the first drive. We went 0 for 11 the rest of the way. And, and I think the statistic was something like negative 13 yards on third downs with penalties and <laughs> with everything combined the rest of the way. And that's not going to win you many football games. And so I think that was a problem. Uh, one of the things – you know, obviously with Trey Madden being out, Silas Red was getting the bulk of the carries. Justin Davis got knocked out in the second half. A lot of injuries to this football team that we can cover a little bit, but that that certainly is a tough thing to overcome. But I would have given the ball to Silas Red. You know, Silas Red was a big part of the first drive, ran for, you know, 90-plus yards in the first half. He was a beast. He was hitting the ball in there, breaking tackles, uh, doing a lot of that. And I thought that they – uh, probably should not have moved away from him because on the next drive when we had the opportunity to get down there on the missed field goal in the first half, Silas Red was not part of the offense. And I do agree with having a, a tailback by committee or a running back by committee, but I think when a guy is feeling it, when a guy is charged, when he's making – uh, hitting holes and, and making great decisions, great vision, very good balance. I think you go with it. And I think that's the situation where you needed to see Silas Red stay in there. Um, second half, obviously, we went to him, but there were so few opportunities and third downs where we got taken off, you know, three and outs that uh, we just didn't ever really get into a rhythm. I agree with you on Cody Kessler. I thought in the first half, he did look comfortable in the pocket. I thought he moved in the pocket pretty well, moving toward the line of scrimmage, finding guys without necessarily having to tuck and run, but pulling it down and distributing the football, I thought was very good. So there were some positives, but ultimately, you know, when it gets down to that in a crunch time game, uh, everybody looked, you know, even in the first half, I thought Coach O was looking pretty fired up at halftime, talking about it, and everybody thought I think we were going to come out and really pound the ball and take charge of the game. We have an interception on the first drive of the second half, and then it, it just got ugly. I mean, it turned into ugly football, and, and uh, we really hurt ourselves not uh, picking up first downs and, and playing a better game. And, you know, a lot of that third down trouble, I think there's so many negative plays on first down. There were some third downs that were converted, they were called back because right. of penalties, but a lot of penalties on the offensive line, holding and, and motions and things like that. Yeah. Um, we asked uh, Cody Kessler after Tuesday's practice about, do you say anything in the offensive line, like in the huddle after a hold or something like that, that negates a big play. And he said, you know, we try to keep it positive. You move on to the next play. That wasn't really something that, that he was discussing. You know, as, did you ever have something like that happen where the offensive line just seems to be falling down all around you? And, and what did you do? Or what, what do you think Cody should have done to try to get the offensive line to stop grabbing jerseys? Uh, well, I think the holding thing is a tough thing to do as a, uh, as a quarterback. I think the, the procedure penalties and jumping off, that's something as a quarterback you have to be a leader. You have to be talking to these guys a lot. Every quarterback's got their own style. Some lead by example. Some are more, more boisterous. You know, I was a talker. I mean, I'd talk to these guys and I'd be talking to them about, you know, hey, this is the count on one-on-one. You're repeating it a lot. So you've got to have a lot of energy. These guys are tired in the second half. It's a loud, hostile environment. And you've got to be talking to these guys, reminding them again, hey, we're going to go on two. I want you guys to be, you know, conscientious of the count. Okay? Don't jump off sides. Be thinking about doing things positively. Okay? So that's what you do as a quarterback. You're a leader out there. You're you know, the field general, you're the guy taking charge out there, so you have to be talking to those guys. You know, it's a situation we had so many holding penalties and so many plays that hurt us down the stretch. Again, I don't think you can do a lot from the holding standpoint, but you can tell those guys and just say, hey, guys, look, no penalties. We can't kill ourselves. We've got to take it down right now, take it down the length of the field. We've got to get points on the board. We've got to finish, guys, finish. And so it's talking to those guys consistently, talking to them on the sidelines, talking to them in the huddle, getting those guys looking in the eyes, take some deep breaths and get those guys pumped up. Because, again, third quarter, fourth quarter, you know, you got a big front seven from Notre Dame that are playing better, more physically up front. You've got to get their attention and you've got to get these guys playing as one. And that's the thing that just never materialized, you know, between the procedure penalties, as you said, didn't get off on first down very well on, on a number of plays. And then turning third and threes to third and eights or, you know, holding and procedure penalties that, you know, 
taking us to third and 20. So a lot of those situations make it very, very difficult to overcome those. But you've got to do everything that you can on the sideline and especially in the huddle to get these guys really listening and, uh, you know, really paying attention and paying attention to detail. So let's stick with Kessler for a little bit. One of the things I noticed in the second half, I wanted to get your thoughts on it, is Uh it didn't seem like he had the kind of sense in the pocket that you see quarterbacks you know good quarterbacks have sometimes where the the rush has kind of went around and is behind him and there's opportunities for him to step up there's space there he can step up step into a throw and and deliver and it seemed like he wasn't sensing it and then you would get pressure from the backside maybe get sacked or something like that or but I, I didn't feel like at least in the second half he had that kind of pocket presence and I think there was also opportunities for him to take off and run, and it just didn't see, you know, he's, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's not very athletic, he's not very fast, I mean, I've seen him run, I think he's an athletic guy, he could, you know, the thing is, he could dunk when he's in eighth grade, he's not like he's not an athlete, so I, but I don't know if he's being limited as far as doing that, he did run a couple of times, they were both, they both went for first downs, I believe, and they both were called back uh, for penalties, but what did you get your thoughts on him in the pocket, and maybe, you know, the run game a little bit? Well, I think those are all valid points, and, and clearly the guy's athletic. I mean, being, being able to dunk a basketball in eighth grade is a, you know, what is he, six foot one, six foot one and a half, maybe, I don't know, but not a big, tall guy, but he's definitely athletic enough to be moving in the pocket. And, you know, look, with the advent of the spread, I mean, I think, what is there, 69 teams in, in, in Division One football that are running the spread offense. We don't, we're not running the spread. We don't need a guy that can you know, take off like Steve Young used to and run for 60 yards. We need a guy... Uh, take a look at uh, like a Joe Montana that's scrambling toward the line of scrimmage, making throws, uh, you know, if, if guys are dropping off, tucking the ball and running and getting 10, 15 yards and moving the chains. You've got to be aware of where the sticks are. You've got to be talking to your receivers about how far to get, make sure they're getting the, the right depth, you know, uh, where the uh, first down markers are. You've got to be doing all of that kind of thing. So being aware and being the field general, talking to these guys. As far as being in the pocket, I think part of it is you've got to be calling passes. If I'm the offensive coordinator, I'm taking a look at what's working and what's not. And if I'm getting him in the shotgun, you know he's getting you know getting sacked a couple times in, in the um, second half. So guys are getting to him. They're playing better defense, as we've already alluded to. So you've got to give him a little bit more room, and you want to get the ball out of your hand. And so what does that mean? That means crossing routes. That means out routes. If they start sitting, then you take it to a go route, run a fade, run some post corners, but run some angled routes that give more separation to guys like Aguilar, you know, and guys like Darius Rogers. I know we had some, you know, we've had some injuries at the receiver position. You know, Marquise Lee was out the whole second half, so tough to get continuity from that sense. But I think that's part of it is you want to be calling plays to get the ball out of your hand in rhythm. You want to be a rhythm passer, get the ball out, you know, getting out in front of the defensive back. They were playing pretty tight on coverage, so that that's part of it as well. But to answer your question specifically in the pocket, you've got to feel it. You can't see the rush. You can't be looking down at the rush. You've got to be feeling it. Whether a guy's behind you, you've got to have eyes in the back of your head. You've got to be able to step up. You've got to be able to step to the side. So all of those types of things come with, with time and, and experience. You're in a loud, hostile environment. started raining, you know, at the end of the third quarter. Not heavy rain, but, you know, pretty steady mist, pretty steady rain. You know, and I think that's all the elements of being in that stadium at night, feeling it the way it is. Somebody's got to step on and make a play. Somebody's got to be the catalyst to turn this thing up and, and say, hey, guys, look, the time is now. We've got to get in the end zone. We've got to do this. We are going to do this. Let's go. So you've got to talk to your you got to talk to your linemen. you got to talk to your receivers. you got to be in sync and on the same page with these guys. I think, you know, again, going back to the penalties, I think a lot of that has got – that resides with the coaches, and, and it has to on, on illegal procedure penalties, you know, ha- having guys jump off sides or jump early on offense. That rests with the coaches. You know, those guys have got to be disciplined and somewhat with the quarterback, too. I mean, he's got to really enunciate and get those guys sharp and listening and being attentive and being disciplined. Even when they're tired, you know, even when they're stuck in wind, they've got to be on board and really concentrating. That's when it comes into play. So, you know, I think all of those things really factored in uh, for Kessler. Certainly got out of rhythm, uh, I think, and, and really had a tough time finding the uh, continuity. Did make some good runs that, that uh, were called back. But, again, I think he's got to continue to get comfortable 
and progress with feeling pressure in the pocket and moving away from it, whether he tucks the ball and runs or whether he moves out of the pocket like he did a couple times in the first half and did a nice job of it, moved toward the line of scrimmage or laterally and got the ball out of his hands. Uh, for those of you guys that are USC students right now, and he mentioned a, a quarterback named Joe Montana, he was good before you were born. Just so you know, but <laughs> he did go to Notre Dame, and I that's and you played in Notre Dame. I wanted to know what your thoughts were, what you thought the players felt, you know, playing, uh, you know, in the gold near the Golden Dome, and and how it related to when you played. You got to go out there with your wife and stuff and enjoy that atmosphere again. Your, your whole Notre Dame experience. Well, the Notre Dame experience um, was not great for me in college when we were there because I was out there twice and we lost both times. And, you know, you were there not that much after I was at USC. And so we had a, a tough run, you know, against the Irish. And those were some great teams. The Michael Stonebreaker, uh, Chris Zorich era, Tony Rice in 88 had some great players. And that was, you know, they had a national championship tucked in there as well. So, you know, that part was tough, but I think there's, you know, there's something about this game, you know, about USC Notre Dame that's special and both sides know it. You know, we tailgated with people before the game. They're, they're some of the best fans in the country and uh, just having a warm, hospitable experience with saying, Hey guys, you know, coming over to our tailgate and hang out and uh, spend time with us. I was throwing the football with uh, some little, uh, you know, some Irish kids, some Trojan, uh, some, well, some Trojans and some Notre Dame fans uh, throwing the football around with them before the game, getting in from Chicago. So I think all that experience is great. I've got some friends that uh, that are big Notre Dame people that uh, we tailgated with as well and connected with. So always great to go back. Certainly we got to get this thing back uh, going the right direction again. Brian Kelly's really kind of punched our clock. You know, three out of four years they've gotten us now, and and uh, first time, uh, as you're, you're aware of, losing to those guys uh, back there since Pete Carroll's first year in 2001. So that was very tough, especially in a winnable game and a winnable situation. But, you know, touchdown Jesus and the Golden Dome and everything that goes along with it, the mystique um, in both traditions, 11 national titles, the Heismans uh, that, uh, you know, really matching in a lot of ways. It's a very special rivalry and the largest intersectional rivalry and one that uh, my, my boys will, uh, as they get bigger, will will come to love as well. Um, let's talk about the defense a little bit. And uh, you get, uh-huh. uh, I thought when you look at what Clancy Pendergast did in the second half after Tommy Reese went down, I'm not sure if Monty Kiffin would have done this, but I like what he did as far as identifying. And, and I don't think you always see this in college. That quarterback can't throw. Stack the line of scrimmage, play bump and run, whatever you got to do. Tight cut, you know, man, you know, one on one on the outside. Make him try to throw the ball. And if they're going to try to run, we're just going to be up there stopping the run. And essentially, they did. They had a couple plays, but for the most part, they shut him down and, and and really flipped the field. the The field position was in USC's favor the entire second half, and they still didn't take advantage of it. But before Tommy Reese got hurt. It looked like, you know, Notre Dame was kind of picking up yardage in chunks. There were some problems in the secondary. Uh, you know, those those problems essentially went away once you had a quarterback that didn't seem like he could throw the ball there. But what did you think about the, the defensive effort there from USC? Well, I, I thought that they played well enough to win the football game. And certainly with Reese going out in the second half, it was a different team, tale of two cities, because they were very ineffective and it was really shocking as to how ineffective that quarterback was because, you know, I don't know a lot about him, but I think he was a pretty highly recruited kid. And so that was surprising. But, uh, you know, again, stacking the box, uh, they couldn't do much against us. I think they had, I don't know what, the 47 total yards in the second half. So we really just needed to score because they were not going to move it. They were ineffective, I think, Coach Kelly on their side knew that they weren't going to be able to move the football. Our punter did a great job. Alvarado did a great job, I think, uh, placing the ball, uh, you know, inside the 10, inside the 20 for sure on a number of plays. Uh, you know, again, great, some great punt returns by Aguilar setting us up. The turnover by Cravens. We were given uh, great opportunities. The defensive side of the football, uh, they really stepped up. Leonard Williams was a beast yet again. Played very physically. Played very, very good. Hayes Pollard was all over the field. Lamar Dawson really kind of reemerged after being pretty quiet uh, the last few weeks. And so, I mean, obviously he had the hit on Reese that knocked him out of the game, which I thought was a clean hit. I watched it again, and they said he was up a little bit high, but uh, I thought that it was a clean hit. The defensive backfield, you know, it's been a work in progress for a while now, and certainly I've talked about the differences between Arizona State with blown coverages, guys being out of position, two guys running with one, leaving guys wide open against Arizona State. That really uh, came back to hurt us badly, as we know. Arizona, uh, 
last week were different issues. I mean, we got beat on wheel routes. We got beat on a hitch and go. We were in the right coverages. We just got beat and uh, got and, and beat deep. So that was another issue. I think this week you saw Anthony Brown come back in. There were a lot of high expectations on him being able to come back in and, and really replace Torn Harris at corner. But I, you know, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not sure what's being coached and what's being taught in there. They, Clearly, especially on his side, playing as soft as he did, led me to believe, led me to believe that um, they really talked to him about not getting, getting beat deep because he was getting on his horse and getting out of there, really allowing Tommy Reese to pitch and catch. Yeah. You know, taking stuff underneath, curl routes, out routes, you know, just everything underneath and in front of him. And uh, it was to the point where you had to come up and challenge these guys and, and, and play them man up. I mean, that's what Clancy uh, Pendergast coach, coaches is very strong physical football coming up and playing guys physically and it hurt us against Arizona as we know but that doesn't mean you abandon you know what it is you're there to do and what you're being coached to do and as, as you know I mean I've talked about it uh, I think Josh Shaw should be at corner I, should, I thought he should have been there probably three weeks ago that he's the guy that needs to be there he can play big and physically uh, on the receivers especially a guy like uh, TJ Jones those guys that um we're making some big plays. I think he matches up well against those guys. You bring Demetrius right back in. You already have Bailey and Sua Cravens. And, uh, you know, you've got, uh, I think you've got the nucleus of guys there that they can play well and, and play physically. And, uh, you know, Kevon Seymour, I think, is coming into his own. I think he's going to be a very good cornerback uh, for the Trojans. And so I think that's what you have to do is get your best 11 guys on the field and, and that means having Josh Shaw at, at corner. Um, good po- points there. And Josh Shaw actually on Tuesday was playing exclusively corner. So it was him and Kevon Seymour. And then Sue yep. Cravens and Demetrius Wright, like you said. Uh, Dion Bailey was out. So that's probably yeah. what's going to be the starting secondary uh, against Utah. So just look for that. But it looks like that's what they're they're going to do. Torn Harris was out there, and he can practice too. They, they didn't really use him much against Notre Dame. I thought they might after Anthony Brown was – having problems. I mean, he hadn't played all year. It seemed like he was a little rusty and it seemed like he was still hurt. Um, to me, that's kind of a sign of desperation. They're just trying something. They need to get something working. And, and he had a, he had a rough go out, out there. Well, he did, but I mean, he played really soft. And so, you know, I mean, he wasn't, um, you know, obviously he's not a big guy. I mean, five nine, one eighty, one eighty, or whatever he is. But uh, he's not a big guy, and, and so they expect coverage and a guy that you know that's going to be able to run with them. And he was playing soft, but you know, every time, not every time, but the majority of the time when Notre Dame was getting off the line of scrimmage, the receiver, you know, he was backpedaling deeply. And sometimes when you know they're running a ten yard out, you know, he's getting caught turning and running like he's running a go route. So really, I think you know he just played very conservatively. Part of it may be rust, and part of it just may, may be the way that they were being coached to not give anything up deep, which was a major problem you know, the last couple of weeks, especially uh, one-on-one getting burned uh, against Arizona the week before. So it's got to improve. I, I mean, I've been a big advocate of Josh Shaw you know, playing on that corner position. And, uh, you know, Seymour, I think we're going to be fine with. And so I'd like to see these guys. Hopefully, Deion Bailey will be healthy this week, but that's – I think what you have to do, and again, you got to have your best 11 on the field with what you got, and that's that's my opinion. All right. Well, uh, I know I wanted to talk about a little bit about the uh, Miami situation as well because I saw you on uh, – most of the posts I saw today were on Facebook, but you were on Twitter and stuff too. Uh, on Tuesday, the you know the sanctions for Miami came down and looked like a uh, slap on the wrist. I guess you say USC fans not really happy. Uh, what is, what is it? Maybe you can share your thoughts with everyone out there. What you thought when you heard about uh, what happened to Miami? Well, I'm just tired. You know, I'm tired of it, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm upset about it. I think that um, you know we've all talked about all the things that we've seen, whether it's been Ohio State and Jim Trussell, you know, knowingly lying with you know Auburn and. Uh, Cam, you know, and uh, basically Cam Newton, you know, his father saying that he you know, that he took money, uh, all the types of things that we've seen time and time again, and unfortunately, I feel like there was really no surprise. You know, nobody really felt like Miami was going to get hit. They had uh, a lot of talk about uh, the NCAA conducting some investigations inappropriately and doing some things that were going to come back to bite them. So that really kind of gave them some some leeway, along with. Uh, 
you know, Shalala, you know, going in there and probably saying she was going to sue and, and uh, fight the thing, you know, after uh, basically self-sanctioning themselves. And I just, I'm at a point right now, Ryan, where I'm tired of it. And I just, there can't be any apathy. I'm tired of the disgust. And, and we have to take a stand. I don't know what that means. I, I know that, uh, you know, we've got a case pending right now that uh, has large implications for what's going to be revealed. And that's McNair in that case that Judge Schaller has already ruled on and has already revealed on a very limited basis some of the emails that have malicious intent. And that has to be uncovered. We have to talk about it. We have to see it. That has to come out. And, you know, I, I've, <laughs> I haven't really mixed any words about it. The NCAA, to me, is a corrupt, warped institution that has perpetrated injustice, inequity, bias, discrimination. And, you know, if people, you know, they talk about Mike Garrett, you know, really taking the wrong stance, and I'm sure he said some things that were regrettable, you know, took a stand that probably, you know, certainly was not cooperative and, and really, I think a lot of people have called arrogant. Bush certainly did not cooperate, I think, and, and didn't, you know, really give a lot of his time. It wasn't easy really getting Coach Carroll to do a lot at the time, too. So I think a lot of people, you know, really looked at this and said that uh, this was just something that was going to get swept under the carpet. Nobody, nobody thought that it was going to be this extreme. And uh, clearly with what had taken place, the sanctions and, and the crime did not did not uh, fit, you know, what took place or what they suggest or insinuate took place because there was no proof to that either. So I think for a lot of reasons, um, I'm frustrated, you know, because they wanted to make a, an example out of and really with heavy handed sanctions and really uh, slapping USC with, you know, with 30, uh, you know, basically 30 scholarships and the two-year bull ban and four-year probation and everything that we already know about, you know, just to really make a point and make a case and an example out of USC, it's just, it's corruption. And I want it to be uncovered. I want to dig into this. I'd love for the NCAA to be investigated because, you know, I think Pat Hayden, Max Nikias, President Nikias, and our athletic director, they've tried to take the high road. And I was an advocate for that early on. I said, you know what, we've got to take the high road. Let's put this behind us. We showed in the second year uh, in 2011 that we could win. We went 10-2. and two. And uh, certainly now the way this thing has come down, with them giving Penn State uh, scholarships back, with everything that we just have talked about, you know, I just think that there's just so much um, injustice and just such an – inequitable uh, ruling on this, the way this has come down, that something has to be done and we have to take action. If you look at what Ohio State, Miami, and Oregon got combined, that was 20 scholarships uh, total. USC got 30, obviously. Uh, you yeah. can argue all of those were worse than what – I mean, were coaches involved. And and the, the yep. main thing is, was, was anything Reggie Bush – that happened with Reggie Bush and this agent or wannabe agent help USC at all? No. I mean, obviously Miami – you're lavishing the players that are there, try, you know, giving them money if they make big hits on the field and all this. I mean, there was a you were helping recruiting by get, putting that atmosphere there. Like, hey, if you come here, you're going to get all this kind of extra benefits and things like that. Uh, obviously, the Cam Newton thing that nothing ever happened there. Um, right. I mean, he they won a national championship because they paid him to go <laughs> there. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's a complete. Well, they won a national championship. Ohio State's guys, you know, played in their bowl game, you know, that year, and that came out afterward. And Jim Trestle resigned because of it and was forced down, yeah. whatever. But you're right. I didn't even talk about Oregon. You know, Chip Kelly's gone to the NFL, and what really effectually is a slap on the wrist. All of these things that you're talking about repeatedly, time and time again, and that's really why I took a stand on Twitter and on Facebook today, just saying, look, enough is enough. We've got to draw a line in the sand. It's time to fight this, and it's time to fight on because, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like we've been pushed around a lot. And the NCAA, you know, whatever they are, an $8 billion institution, huge money, huge money that's generated by these college athletes. And here they are just, you know, again, you know, slapping us in the face, you know, and trying to bulldoze, bulldoze us around, you know, because they feel like they can. Well, that's got to stop. And we've got to take action. And if it's going to come from this McNair case, we've got to get that done. We've got to get those emails released. We've got to take some action and, and go after these guys because they can't just sit there doing what they do 
and, and keep sweeping this under the carpet. You talk to UCLA people, you talk to Notre Dame people, everybody in the country knows that we've got a raw deal and got a raw deal and continue to get a raw deal. And it's got to, we've got to take action on it now. I mean, I was an advocate, as I said earlier, on moving on and just calling it a day and getting going forward on this thing. Not anymore. You know, not anymore. So we've got to do something, and, and uh, I'm ready to do whatever I can do to help. The uh, Penn State stuff is funny. That uh, different. I mean, obviously different sections. It's a whole different. It's completely different. But. When people think like, "Oh, Penn State's halfway through their sanctions," or the part they, their scholarship sanctions had not started. Like they are still at eighty-five scholarships, or allowed to be at eighty-five scholarships this year, two thousand thirteen. The sixty-five, which is a huge deal. I mean, USC lot huge. went from eighty-five to seventy-five. The sixty-five right. didn't start till next year. Well, now the sixty-five is never even going to get there. So they, instead of giving up eighty over four years, they're giving up fifteen over two. So they're going to do seventy-five. For one year, which is USC had to do for three, has got right. one more left, and then eighty the next year. So that's an eighty percent reduction before their scar- the sanctions even started. And then after that happens, Pat Hayden goes to the NCAA and asks for relief, and they're like, they blow them off like right away. It's amazing oh, yeah. that you could, you know, what did the what did Penn State do <laughs> over that time that you yeah. could reduce their scholarships by the the sanctions by eighty five percent or eighty percent. Well, and you're talking about, again, two very different cases. Penn State's obviously is different than, than any case out there. And so not really weighing in on that situation because a lot of people, you know, really feel like that was, uh, you know, a criminal situation, <laughs> you know, not, uh, you know, not anything, anything having to do with the uh, football. But anyway, I, I just think that, yeah, giving those scholarships back and saying, hey, for good behavior and by cooperating, I don't know what more Hayden – could have done and what more USC could have done in that situation when, you know, they basically quadrupled the compliance department. They're doing everything the right way. You know how much they monitor practice, who's going in and who's going out. All of the types of things that they've done, you know, all the types of things they've said, how much uh, Pat Hayden has really worked hard, bending over backwards to accommodate the NCAA, to help, to assist, to, you know, get on things right away, to do things the right way. So for them to say, hey, look, you know, these guys uh, have done things the right way, Penn State, and we're going to give them some scholarships back, yet here we are, here USC is, wallowing, you know, in this, uh, with having walk-ons out there in the Notre Dame game. I said it earlier today, you'll probably never see that again. I mean, we're not talking about Rudy, you know, at the end of the, you know, at the end of the game, you know, back in the eighties for Notre Dame getting in on one play, you know, this was a guy coming in and, and no knock on him. I mean, you know, good kid, great kid, but you know, having a, having a, a, a walk on receiver playing in a critical time situation during a big game when you're losing, that's not the same thing. And so we're facing that right now. I, you know, from what I understand, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they had a USC had a single scholarship tight end practicing today. So clearly we got numbers uh, very affected. You know, you know more on the injuries than I do on who's in and who's out. I know Justin Davis is out for the year. So I think it's a situation where, again, I go back to as much as they want to say, you know, Mike Garrett didn't cooperate, as much as they want to say USC, you know, was arrogant in, in their approach, does not – allow them or give them the right to levy heavy-handed extreme sanctions on a university that have basically no comparison, you know, what, what they doled out to us compared to everybody that you just mentioned, and then some, you know, Auburn, Ohio State, Oregon, on down the road, North Carolina, all of these different schools, you know, they got much, much less than us. And we've got to take a stand, you know, because we cannot sit here and just continue to be a punching bag the way we've been. And we've got to step up, and I think we've got to put a lot of heat on this situation with, uh, with McNair, you know, which is obviously not a USC-related case anymore. But we've got to take some action, and we've got to do it soon. All right. Great stuff, Shade. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, there wasn't – on Tuesday there was uh, no scholarship tight ends practicing. They did move Kevin Green over. Uh, to, he played tight end, so they, I guess technically there was a scholarship guy there, but not a regular scholarship <laughs> tight end. There, yeah, I'm, a guy that hasn't played it since high school. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so not not really, though. No. Um, and there, by the end of the practice, there was only one scholarship receiver that was uh, yeah. able to go. So, And that was Darius Rogers, who was out very recently. And a lot of guys limping around that were, that were practicing. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. You could see a lot of walk-on action. If you're a walk-on fan, you might like the game on Saturday. <laughs> Tim Lavin, walk on you. Yes. He was, 
He Give was him a plug. There yeah. we go. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See what happens uh, Saturday against Utah. Yeah, we'll talk to you after Utah. Fight on, everybody. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Shane. And we'll be back in a minute talking to Sean Salisbury. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We are back here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. we got Sean Salisbury, former USC quarterback, on the line, you can follow him on Twitter at Sean Unfiltered. It's a good uh, good follow if you like the Twitter stuff. What's going on, Sean? How you doing? I'm doing good, bud. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. Just uh, doing a little recap of what went on over the weekend and, and kind of talking about what, what USC fans can look forward to. I mean, I think fans were pretty excited, I think, after that Arizona game, Sean. And then uh, at Notre Dame, so many opportunities to win. And it just seemed like every single one, there was a swing and a miss at the end of the game. Yep, and you gotta you gotta be able to close it out, and, and you know this, Ryan. Great teams, and I'm not mistaken as for a great team. Don't misunderstand me, but in order to take the step on the ladder to be a great team, you gotta win those type of games. And I, I wish I could have seen the same energy that I saw the week before in South Bend. And you know, if I, I some of the greatest place I can remember, Coach McKay being a guest speaker for us one time and told us. He came in the locker room the day before, or the morning, the, the the just minutes before the game to give us a speech, a surprise speech, and said it doesn't matter if you play in a Super Bowl, it doesn't matter if you play, no matter who you play against at any part of your career, you'll remember this game more than any. And he was right. And you know, you remember every movement you make, every every single thing was on. It's almost surreal. Walk taking the buses in from the hotel on the campus, and and you know, with the bookstore after the. Friday walking before the buses leave to go to the hotel and how it got dark earlier in South and all those things. And maybe at times can be overwhelming. And they, they looked at times, and I don't want to say like a team overwhelmed, but like a team who was kind of caught up in it. And, you know, when you can't close out and you can't, you know, score, get in the red zone and take care of and score touchdowns, even though Notre Dame's not a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you go on the road, you've got to play, in that rivalry, which I think is still one of the classiest, best rivalries in all of sports, you've you got to be able to go on the road and do it, and you've got to sustain the energy level each week. And that's a sign of a mature, good football team. You've got to be able to sustain it each and every week and capitalize on those. You can have bad series, but you can't have bad quarters and bad halves. And um, the inability to score you know, and opportunities that are presented to you when you get a turnover or when you put yourself in position and not take advantage of an open receiver or an open hole or a a missed tackle, and like I said, Notre Dame's not a great football team, but I think we left one on the table in South Bend, and and um, those kids will remember that. The ones that are leaving and never going to get a chance to go back and play there, and ones that are new will remember that experience and, and look forward to one, you know, the one in the Coliseum next year, and then two years from now going back to South Bend. So, great rivalry. Unfortunately, just couldn't uh, couldn't close the books and couldn't close the door on a in a in a great rivalry game. Over your career, I don't know, I can't remember seeing a lot of games like this, but where in the beginning of the game, USC seemed to move the ball pretty well. They yep. they left some points on the table, but they could run the ball. Cody Kessler, I thought, looked pretty comfortable in the pocket. But then yep. at the end, it was completely different. I don't remember, I mean, how could it be that Jekyll and Hyde? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you how. And no no player likes to hear this, and I don't care. Well, I've, we've all been there. Maybe unless you were number 23 and played for the Chicago Bulls, or, you know, unless you're number 12 and play at the New England Patriots or number 16 and for the 49ers and Brady and Montana and Jordan, maybe you don't know this feeling, but Tiger Woods just stand over a ten, stood over a stand, stood over a 10-foot putt and, and choked. I've dropped back to pass with a guy open and thrown a pick and choked because I misread the coverage. 
and the emotion of the game can cause the choke factor. And people do not – the worst word you can ever have to tell an athlete two things is you didn't give me effort when they believe they did and they don't want to hear that or you, or you became a coward on the field, you wussed out, or that you choked. And I, I do believe emotions of a game and rivalries and big situations. I believe that teams do choke and players do choke. Nobody wants to admit it, but let's face facts. The reason why, and people make it, let's give the other team credit too, adjustments are made. I mean, if you're not adjusting and changing at halftime or after every quarter, after every series to, to go along with what you're seeing on the field, then, then you're not very smart. And I know that these coaches are smart and, you know, you don't get to this level at SC Notre Dame without being smart and having a clue. But as a player and in the scene, even coaches during a game, the, the, the moment can, can cause you to not pull the trigger like you want to. The moment can cause you to overpull the trigger. Too much excitement. And there are the choke factor involved, and people are hide behind that word and afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say it because I've done it more than once. So um, it exists, and that's why you come out, you're riding the emotion of the game, and all of a sudden you start to look at the scoreboard and say, okay, the pressure that you did, the pressure of the game's going up. This is our main rival other than UCLA, maybe even a bigger rivalry than UCLA because it's a national rivalry that everybody talks about. And you start to feel it get up into your throat, and your Adam's apple, you can't swallow as much. And before you know it, you want to, you start to hyperventilate and choke up on your own spit. It doesn't matter that the fact that neither team's in the national title title picture. It's relative to that game. So it, it looked to me like the, whether it's the intensity or the pressure of the situation, people don't sometimes play as well. That's why I always say that the great players in all sports, Jordan when he's got the ball in his hand at the last second, or Kobe Bryant, or James, or Brady, or these guys, Andrew Luck fits into this now, is that when the temperature of a, of a game goes up, their blood pressure goes down, the great ones. Normal, the mere mortals, myself and all of us other guys that, that you know, may have been great one moment and not so great the next, and a bunch of other people, the, the, the mere mortals in sports, not the immortals like the Jordans, when the temperature of the game goes up, we feel it. We feel it, and the natural is to be heartbeat a little faster, the choke factor become a little bit more relevant in your throat, and the other guys, the great ones, just they, they play better. They perform better. Matter of fact, they look forward to those situations when a lot of people don't want them. And, and I'm not putting it on any particular player, but I definitely think the, the intensity or the situation of a game. Now, can you fix that? Sure. You can be a guy who lost at this game and didn't feel the, and then all of a sudden as you get older and become a better veteran and have seen it enough times, like experience, you can adjust to that. But I do, there's no question in my mind that that choke factor exists in every game that we ever play and how you handle it is important. And we didn't handle it very well down the stretch and in the second half and left too many points on the board and too many opportunities. Um, that's interesting stuff on the choke factor. I I can see that happening for sure. I wanted to get your opinion on how Cody Kessler played. It seemed like he played pretty well against Arizona. There were some good moments, I think, earlier in this game, and then, I don't know, things seemed to kind of fall apart. What did you see as a former quarterback and an analyst that, that knows a lot about quarterbacks, what Cody Kessler has been doing? Yeah, I, and I, you know what, I mean, I've been impressed with it. Just like you said, I mean, we've got a perfectly hits it, isn't it? He's had some really great moments. He's had some average moments, and he's had some not-so-good moments. It goes along with being starting for, you know, heck, it's his first year starting. I get it. Trust me. I did trust uh, I can remember Troy Aikman telling the story, uh, here's Troy Aikman, but going down the tunnel at the Rose Bowl for his first Super Bowl all week long in the Super Bowl leading up to it. This goes back to the factor of, of, of why why these great players are great is he, uh, the week before the Super Bowl leading up to the night, ate, ate fine, everything, pregame meal, slept well the night before the game, coming down the tunnel to be introduced for the Super Bowl starting lineups. He said he, he hyperventilated and wanted to throw up. He couldn't breathe because of the, the situation. He went out there and got hit and got going, and it turned out, and obviously Aikman performed under pressure. But that feeling, even the Troy Aikmans feel it. Um, with Cody Kessler, I, I, it takes it, – people have to recognize that this isn't a fourth-year, fifth-year senior – starting a quarterback in his first visit to South Bend as a starter. I mean, you walk onto that field, and I'm telling you, trust me, I've been there. It, 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 while it's historic and great, it also is like you can, it can leave your jaw hanging down, and wow, and I don't care if he admits it or not, but you walk on that field, it's different. It is, it's different. And so his overall performance this year, I think he's had some really good moments. So I think, you know what, we've got some here, and he's had some moments. So I think, well, there needs some improvement. And what I notice with him at times, and people – Nobody likes to admit this either, but under pressure, our mechanics break down at times. And when I say break down, we maybe change our arm angle or maybe lengthen our stride too much where our arm angle drops. And maybe we're gripping the ball a little tighter because of the pressure of the situation. Once he gets consistency with every single drop and every single throw, 
that he can make and set up and play and, and make that his mechanics don't break down. A good golfer's mechanics don't break down on the 18th. You watch him. A guy will be playing great for 17 holes in the final round. He'll step up the 18th tee box, stare down the fairway with a two-stroke lead, and snap hook his drive <laughs> because the choke factor, but also because the, the mechanics break down. You know, you start to grip the club a little tighter, and it happens. So I think the kid's got some raw ability. I think he's done some good things. This season will be enormous for his ability to come into next season saying, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Now he's going to be under competition. They're not going to – you leave that thing open. He's done nothing that tells me that he should be the four, the, the next starter for the next three years that, that he, it's his guaranteed. He's done some things that tell me we've got a pretty good one that if he continues to get better, he could be that guy for the next three or four years. But, you know, he's going to get better. But you're going to come in the spring and whoever the new coach is, you're going to leave three or four guys to compete and let's see what goes. And the great player will step up and take the job by the throat and become our quarterback next year in Southern Cal. And if it's, if it's Kessler, that's great. If it's, if it's Brown or whoever, the recruit, whoever it is. And I think and that's great. Competition's great. But he's revolving. He's, he's young. And he's going to make those mistakes. We can't expect – Manziel doesn't exist on everybody's team. Jameis Winston, does, those guys just don't grow on trees all of a sudden. Hey, Johnny Manziel and Jameis Winston fell out, and we expect him to win a Heisman Trophy as a, as a freshman. I mean, this kid, he's raw, and he's new, and I see some really good things, and I see some really average things, and I see some, some bad things at times. And when mechanics break down, you become a very average player. We all do. I mean, we, we, we just do. And some guys far could be mechanically unsound and still be great, but there's only one of those dudes, okay? Those <laughs> guys don't exist every day either. So for me, it's the, the, the constant work this offseason of mechanics and polishing them of those couple where they don't break down under certain situations, but also playing more and working and playing and working and keep getting and keep getting and making sure that this is, this is something that's ingrained in him and the experience will help. Experience does matter at that position. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I've seen some things that you say, whoa, this guy's pretty good, and, and, and that's okay. But it's a, I, he, I, he's doing exactly what you expect, that I would have expected him to do. Flashes of everything, great, average, and, and, and not so good. Now the key for him is going to be to take the bad and the great stuff and bring them closer together. And then that, that's the difference in superstars and a guy who has to fight for his job every spring. And I think he's got some ability and size, and, and I like him. And I'm going to tell you what, it's invaluable what he's going through right now um, this football season, which will give him the leg up heading into spring no matter who the coach is. Um, speaking of coaching, this was uh, Clay Hilton's second game calling, uh, doing the play calling there. Uh, he spoke a little bit after practice yesterday and uh, you know, had some positive things to say. He knew that there were some, some things to work on. But what did you think of, of how the play calling went there in South Bend? But, you know what? And, and, hey, we always just put it on the player when it comes to executing. I can assure you this is Clay's second job calling plays for USC, correct? Second game, yeah. Yeah. You don't think he's feeling that factor of it choking up in his throat too? I mean, goodness gracious, and I get that too. And again, if it's SC, it's Notre Dame. I thought, you know, there's some inconsistency. He's still trying to feel out his football team. Let's not forget, he had a micromanaging head coach that wouldn't let him sniff the plays <laughs> when he was the head coach. Okay, <laughs> so he's going over this thing, trying to, in the process of seeing, okay, evaluating his quarterback. He's also the coordinator evaluating his whole offense and what they do well, trying to get back into running the football and mixing that in. And real SC football is we run it and we physically wear you out. That's what we do. That's what we've always done. We knock you in your damn mouth, and we hit you, and then we mix in the pass, and then whether it's mixing 35 throws or 40 throws or 27 throws. But we don't, we, we don't ever want, even with Reggie and that group there, you can give us finesse all you want, but we'd still line up and knock you smack dab in your mouth, okay? And that's, that, that's, that's the way SC plays when they're great. That if, it's, if we've got to carry the ball seven times in a row, eight times, nine times, ten times in a row, to, to, in a four-minute drill to kill the clock at the end of a football game, that's what we did. And that's what they've got to get back to. And Clay will understand that as he rolls along. But, you know, he's still feeling out he, he, not only his play-calling skills, but trying to manage it to them, trying to, to match it up with the talent he's got and what they do well. And so he's trying, you know, you're, he's in the position of like, okay, do I put more in or is less more where I execute what we do well? So, you know, aggressiveness at times is better. And you got to know when to – I don't ever like non-aggressive coaches or, or players – but you got to also know when to back off and when it's good to run the ball three times in a row or to line up at the goal line and, and or at the, you know, in the red zone and it's first and ten and go first and ten, second and six, third and three, and all, and all runs, four plays and three plays in a row. So um, I, I think he's, you know, the, the week before I was really, I loved the play calling. 
against Notre Dame. I thought there was times when we obviously in every game you can find something different. But let's not forget now. He's only in his second play calling. There's the office the second game play calling. There's people out there, well, what are we doing? Good gracious, like I said. I mean, he, he wasn't getting anywhere near calling a formation when, he, when, when Lane was the coach. So we've got to be a little patient with him. But for him, too, it's a showcase for him, not only to the current coaching staff, but, hey, whether he's a, whether he's a coordinator at FC next year with a new coach or somebody else is looking for a guy, this is really good for him to get out there and experience for him to say, okay, man, what's my next job, or is it here as USC's offensive coordinator? So he's also got to, as a coach, it's a fine line, because they know that this right now is an interim situation with the head coach. So they've got to recognize that the team's more important than their individual play calling, because, well, I want to call plays and look good, so if I'm not at USC, somebody else who's hiring will say, man, I love the way he called the plays as the offensive coordinator, and I still got a job, I mean, or still going to get a job somewhere else. So you got to have a fine line of being able to separate what you're doing selfishly so people you're showcasing your own skill for it's like a quarterback in the preseason that's going to get cut by an NFL team but is showcasing for 31 other teams that hope they like him. He's not worried about his team. He's worried about him because he knows he's not going to make that roster. Well, it's really when you're in a interim status with a head coach that – and the head coach may be the only interim guy that stays because everybody loves Eddie O and probably <laughs> going to stay if he's not the head coach, still coaching there. The other guys may not. So you've got to still focus on this 2013 season and making this football team better. But also in the process, I, it's only human nature to say, man, I hope I'm impressive so somebody loves me. But he's got to recognize it's about the football team. So I think he does. I'm, I'm quite sure he does. But it's very easy to, get, to deviate from, man, we're on a roll here now. Let me do what I'd like to do to sort of make sure people notice. But the only thing that they notice is wins and losses and how we're doing on this current USC football team. The uh, defensive effort, <clears throat> excuse me, was a little bit interesting where the Irish moved down the field right at the beginning of the game, big goal line stance, and uh, you know turned into a USC touchdown, 95 yards or whatever it was the other way. Uh, but after that, you know, Tom Reese seemed to get into a rhythm and, and you know they moved the ball quite you know easily, I think, on the USC defense. Once he went down, though, Obviously, they couldn't throw the football anymore. But what did you think overall of how the, the defense played? You know what? I, I still think that's the part of our game that's going to keep us in it and win us games. I do. I love the – I love – one thing, regardless, I love the aggressive, nature, the, the aggressive nature that Clancy brings to it. I do. He's always been that way. I don't like passive defenses. I think you play passive defense. Your quarterbacks don't like pressure at their legs and don't like getting hit. We just don't. Forget sacks. Just don't like getting hit. I mean, nobody likes to see it, but I'm talking about the constant where every ball's got to come out, and Clancy has you thinking like that as a defensive coordinator, and he's very good at it. Um, a little inconsistency. You can see that some of the youth gets in the way, but also, you know, that they, when, yeah, as an aggressive team, they're going to miss some plays. You're going to give up. When you're an aggressive defense, quarterbacks are going to make throws if you don't get to him. But I like the direction our defense is headed. I, I'm telling you, when they're playing, when their defense is right, I'm not sure. There's not 10 defenses in the country. I don't care what statistics say. When they're getting after it and playing and doing their thing, now it didn't look like it against Arizona State. I get that. Don't misunderstand me. But when you're playing, when you're got a, when your team's not scoring as much and you're giving the ball up and the other team that you're on the track, it doesn't matter what you are. Look at Alabama's defense. They gave up 40 plus to Manziel. I think 48 points or whatever it was to Johnny, and they've only given up 26 points in their five other games, five five of the other wins or whatever it is. So. They, Trust me, one good football player, one team on a roll can, can change statistics. But when they're going right in pressure, and USC is defense is not to be laughed at. So while you're playing and Tommy Reese is one of those guys at Notre Dame that he can get into a rhythm, and then he can also look awful. And, he, you know, they got him when he started to get a little rhythm going. But when he goes out, he can't throw the football very well, and they can tee off. But, hey, the other team's getting paid, too. And I mean that, you know, tongue-in-cheek, meaning they're on scholarship, <laughs> too. So, so they're going to make some plays. But... I like the direction the defense is headed. Now, I hope, you know, when this season's over, whoever the defensive coach is comes in and continues to be aggressive. And if they keep Clancy, that's great, too. But I, I put it this way. If you're asking me between last year and this year, I think it's a world of difference. This year's defense is you – know, I don't care about the personnel. I care about the scheme that I see and the aggressiveness. I'll take this defense over last year's any day of the week. I agree with you. I mean, even when they're giving up a lot of big plays, Arizona State, I like the aggressiveness. I like the – forcing of negative plays. And I, I think they forced I a, lot, yeah, a lot of negative plays. Agreed. And, Ryan, you know what? Negative plays, when you have a team that, that forces a lot of negative plays, you're going to give up some home runs. You're going to give up some home runs. As long as they're solo home runs. I mean, Arizona, you caught Arizona State on the night when they were playing out of, their, out of their mind, okay? And Washington got a little taste of that as well this past week. So it happens. 
but I'll take aggressive over pass. You can take an average quarterback. An average quarterback in a passive defense will look like a Heisman Trophy winner. An average quarterback in aggressive defenses most of the time, he may make a few plays. Eventually, he's going to, his weakness is going to show, and he will be exposed. Give me aggressive over passive any day. I'll take it. I'll take this defense 100 times before last year's. You know, I think if we look at the UCLA game from last year and this year, that's going to be a big telling tale. Obviously, it's a big rivalry game, but uh, they really backed off and let Brett Humley, they tried to, like, oh, okay, make some plays, and he just continued to make plays. They never really put any pressure on him. This year, I think I'm it'll be say, a different story. Yeah. So it'll be curious to Make sure it's like better because I, right now UCLA is the best football program in this town. Yeah. In Los Angeles, should I say? I'm not there, but they're the best program. And Brett Huntley, after last week, and knowing Noel Mazzoni like I know, and they got to go to Oregon and get it, regardless of what happens this week, they better be aggressive with Brett Huntley because he will destroy USC's defense if they come in and play passive. But Clancy won't let that happen. Clancy's seen enough of, of Brett in the Pac 12 to know better. They'll, they'll be aggressive now. Can they execute or not? We'll find out when that game comes around. But. They've got a few more things to take care of before they see the Bruins. Uh, the one last thing before we let you go, uh, injuries. I was out of practice yesterday. I mean, they're down to like, you know, 38 or 39 guys on scholarship that were practicing. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this. And I think it was kind of ironic that the Miami sanctions come out, the quote-unquote sanctions come out that same day. Uh, but it just seems like a lot of the people around USC aren't real happy right now with what the NCAA is really doing to the program. Well, it shouldn't be. Now, I understand we, took to, we, we deserve to be punished in some way, shape, or form. There's no question. I get that. But really? And I don't, it's not sour grades for me. I'm, I'm as unbiased. I'll sit up here and tell you how bad USC or how good USC is or how they're favored or what have you. I, I, I have no problem with that. I'm not, in the, I'm not the butt-kissing alumni that, that, that just whenever something's going wrong, we blame the world. I'm not an I confess he did it guy. We did some things at USC and deserve to be punished. But this? Really? Really, I mean, I'm not dogging the Canes, but come on, nine scholarships in three years? Give me a break. That, that, that's no, that is very, that, that's not going to impact the program. It's just not. I mean, yeah, you miss a lot on one guy or two guys. I'm just telling you right now, nine scholarships in three years at Miami will not set the program back. It has set our program back, but in, 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 in a second, I'm going to tell you why we still can't blame that on that. But, yeah, sanctions come down. We're down to 40 scholarship guys, like you said, 39 scholarship guys. It's hard enough to get through practice. Of course, it's brutal. It's, it's, it's a bummer, and we got hosed and jobbed by the, the MT2A, the biggest joke of a governing body on the planet, that the punishment surely did not fit the crime, especially when you compare it to other teams in the sanctions that they're being levied, whether it's Oregon, the Canes, or the, the give-backs to Penn State, all those. I don't ever believe you punish a school for something that kids weren't there get punished for. I, I don't ever believe that. I, I just don't. So, yes, we, we can slice it any way we want. USC was used as a major example and got a knife stuck in their back and twisted and turned and twisted and a machete chopping off the head. At least they tried to. Now, with all that being said, we got two choices. We can run in the corner and cry and, and, and whine and that we got 40 guys or whatever on scholarship and we don't have enough bodies to get through, or you finish out the season and be patted on the back. Because you know what? Bill O'Brien's Penn State Nittany Lions were crushed last year. And that guy became, I think he was national coach of the year. So we don't have a choice. So it's one of those things. We can't forget we're not we're not gonna cancel the football game. So you gotta line up and then it's the Bill Belichick philosophy. Next guy up, man. Who's next? If I gotta have a walk on play left tackle, then his butt better be prepared to play. That's just a, a, you know what? Scholarship, scholarship. I could care less. You know what? While it'd be great, it's all and it'd be great if it was all in a perfect world, but it isn't. We've lost the coach, we've been under fire. We're still dealing with probation. I mean, with, with scholarship losses and going through the probationary stuff. We're, we're mad and we're blind and we're caught because somebody else didn't get punished as much. But that's not the way the coaches have ever faced it. John Robinson was there right now. John, he was saying, I'm sure Eddie was the same way. They, they, you know what? It doesn't matter. Denny Green in Minnesota, even though he's not an SC guy, he used to tell us, I don't care if we're late. For, if the team bus doesn't show up for, to, to drive us to the stadium, I don't care if the meal's cold. It doesn't matter. We're still got to show up and play. So we were going to let those distractions, and yeah, it's a distraction. But guess what? The 22 I run out there better damn well be ready to, to gut it out and play. And if the 22 I run out there don't, and one guy's complaining, then I won't play them. And I love what John Harbaugh said about his Baltimore Ravens this past week after their loss. I'll cut people, I'll bench them, I'll trade them, I'll do whatever it takes for us to get back to winning. And this guy just won a Super Bowl. <laughs> so if it's good enough for them, that's the bottom line. The excuses, whatever. But if they we're making excuses, if we're spending much time making excuses, we're not spending enough time getting better. 
and going Eddie Ogeron like we all do, I know Eddie wants that, and I know USC wants I know Pat Hayden wants it. I know the former players want it and the alums want it. But I don't care. I really don't, Ryan. Well, it's a bummer. we still got to line up and play. Because if we don't line up and play, we're going to keep getting – we'll get our butt hammered. And then everybody's going to be without a job when the season's over. And those scholarship football players are going to lose their job, too, to some freshman who's going to come in and be ready to play. So that being said, no excuses. You don't have – there's no excuses. We need T-shirts, no excuses. As my T-shirt company says, play every damn down. And I don't care who the body is. Play every damn down. That's awesome, Sean. Dude, they have to get you in there to the locker room. you got to be talking. I know they've brought some former players back. They should get you in there talking to these guys. You, you, you tell Eddie Orgeron to get me in, and I promise I'll have those guys not only standing on their head, but they'll want to fight me in the middle of it. Nice. All right, I'll mention it in practice today. <laughs> great stuff. You well, got it. My pleasure. And, hey, they can find me also on everydamndown.com for some great clothing, and, and, it, and it also contributes to making a difference in the cancer. Uh, in, in, in our cancer during the month of October for breast cancer, but also military, the wounded warriors next month. We'll have a suit team every month. That's everydamndown.com. They can find me at Sean Unfiltered, obviously, on Twitter and, and on my show on 11 to 1 Pacific time on Yahoo Sports Radio or yahoosportsradio.com. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Sean. We appreciate that. And uh, check out every, every damn down that got every damn down. Dot com. Okay. Great logo. I think they're going to love it. And that's what we've got to do in life. We play every damn day. we got to live life every damn day. we got to play football every damn down. You let me know what I can do, Ryan. Always a pleasure to be on with you, buddy. All right. Thanks again, Sean. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.